0: Welcome to Berenson Bond Podcast Episode 79 with your solo host today, Corey Berenson. Just me, so buckle up. It's going to be a lot of my voice. No two-way interaction. I'm going to go over this. It's going to be something a little different. So the main objective of today's podcast is going to be an overview of the global financial system. Yeah, it's going to be that. So if you're not in, might want to shut it down now. But if you're interested, hang tight. Number one, COVID, this crazy virus, made us all look at our money and financial situations differently on some level. I was personally absolutely ignorant to how governments and global entities move and control the gateways that finances travel through. I found a newfound interest in crypto, which opened my eyes to why it was created, how it's transforming the backdrop of every transaction on the planet, and has been in developing in the open, but ignored by the masses like me, because we are far too quickly distracted by the latest show binging on Netflix or Amazon, to bother listening to what is ahead. I find it extremely fascinating. We can continue to ignore it, miss the opportunity to create income, passive income, and also miss what is the next big financial shift of our generation since we went from paper to plastic. Most of us will continue to go about our day and not even notice it until we're pushed to what whatever way we have to do to pay bills or buy anything. Remember when cards came out with chips? Remember when cards came out? Remember when you started banking online? Those are shifts. The maturity of blockchain and how it will shift the globe financially will open up opportunities for those of us learning about it to earn from this knowledge and watch it grow. The masses of unbanked people in the world will gain access to hold, spend, borrow, and loan money with a phone. All of it will travel and settle in seconds. Most exciting is that those of us watching closely can see the opportunity for access to what was once only possible for banks. From small ones to continental federal reserves. This will be, so this podcast is going to be a multi-part series. And as it gets detailed, and I will post an organized Google Doc that you could just read and click through if you really don't want to listen to my voice or get bored of me talking. But whoever can hang, I will do my best to walk through what I've learned so far as it changes rapidly all the time. I'll be covering only a few companies, cryptos, and networks that I follow closely. I know there's many out there, but the complexity and overwhelming knowledge of the many researchers putting out their content on YouTube and Twitter is astonishing. And the network effect helps bring the big picture together ever so clearly. I can't thank them all enough for their ongoing research and sharing of that knowledge. There's also no way you would come across this information on your average day. But all of this is out in the open in public knowledge if you're looking for it. It's lo- it, it is long, super boring PDFs and documents buried on sites and only the researchers are digging in, wanting to watch this massive change take place step by step. So this is how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be going over things in this order. Gonna go over a super generic wiki cliff notes version of the history of money. Then we're gonna go to gold for a second, paper, to digital, to cryptos, from the internet protocol, to the interledger protocol, then distributed ledger technology, Then we're going to do some terminology, which is a huge section, which is important to kind of get a backdrop of all this and how things are connected and moving together. So it'll be a terminology of the banking system, blockchain, and some companies because they are involved with the company I'm mostly going to cover, which is Ripple, on some level. Then we'll dive specifically into Ripple and their token XRP, and then... The next podcast, I'll dig into Flare Networks, Flare Finance, Probity Vault, and what's now going to be called the StablePay app, Trustline, and the R.A. StableCoin. None of that makes sense right now, but we'll do that on the second one, basically. And last thing, buckle your seatbelts. All right, here we go. In the beginning. Just kidding. So, money in and of itself has no actual value. Its value is symbolic because it conveys the importance that people place on it. It allows you to trade goods, services, communicate the price, and it provides individuals with the way to store their wealth over the long term. Okay. Before money existed, people would exchange goods through bartering. You know that. The first region of the world to use an industrial facility to manufacture coins was in Europe, in Lydia, which is modern-day Turkey, in approximately 600 B.C. The Chinese were the first to devise a system of paper money in about 770 B.C. Although China was the first country to use an object that we might recognize as coins, the first region to manufacture them da, 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 just said that. I don't know why I duped that twice. Anyways, the facility that makes them is called a mint. and the process of creating currency in this way is referred to as minting. All right. what about this first official currency? As we know, 600 BC, Lydia's king Eltus, he minced, he minted the first official currency. The coins were made from electrum, which is silver and gold mixed together, and the coins were stamped with pictures that acted as denominations. So on the streets of Sardis, a clay jar might cost you two owls and a snake. Nice, right? Then we transitioned to paper. Around, like I said, 770, the Chinese moved us over there. By the time Marco Polo, a Venetian merchant and explorer who traveled the Silk Road between 1271 and 1295 A.D. The emperor of China had a good handle on the money supply and the denominations. In fact, in the place where modern American bills say, In God We Trust, the Chinese writing at that time said, Those who are counterfeiting will be decapitated. I think we should roll with that, you know, that'd be kind of cool, you know, little throwback. So parts of Europe were still using metal coins as their sole form of currency all the way up to the 16th century. This was helped by colonial efforts and acquiring new territories on the epic European conquest, providing them with new metals, which they could make, they could mint more coins, However, banks eventually started using paper banknotes for depositors and borrowers to carry in place of metal coins. Because, yeah, you got that big, heavy bag of coins. I would just like to carry some very light paper I can fold up. Makes total sense. They could be taken to the bank anytime, and then you would give me my coins. Right? Anytime. Back then. And this way, it operated much like a currency does today in the modern world. However, it was issued by banks and private institutions, not the government, which is now responsible for issuing currency in most countries, as we know. All right, then the emergence. Moving on to the emergence of currency wars. So the shift to paper money increased international trade, right? Banks and the ruling classes started buying currencies from other nations and creating a currency market. So I'm in this country. I'm going to buy your currency in your other country. So now I have double, right? So that happened a long time ago. The stability of a particular monarchy affected the value of a country's currency, right? If I'm a country, I buy all your money. I'm going to affect the price of it. And thus the ability for that country to trade on an increasingly international market. causing beef. The competition between countries often led to currency wars where competing countries would try to change the value of the other's currency by driving it up, which makes your stuff super expensive, and by driving it down, reducing the enemy's buying power. Or, more importantly, your ability to pay for a war. So if I can just get control of your funds. You're broke, you can't attack me. Okay. Then moving on, as we know, future, let's dive, mobile payments. The 21st century has given rise to two novel forms of currency, mobile and virtual currency. Mobile payments are money rendered for a product or service through a portable electronic device Fancy name for a cell phone, smartphone, phone, or tablet. Uh, Interesting fun fact. The first example of mobile payments was in 1997 when I was in the wonderful 11th grade when Coca-Cola introduced a limited number of vending machines where the customer could make a mobile purchase. You would send a text to the machine, set up the payment, and the machine would give you your Coke. Kind of cool. And it, uh, it went through Meritabank. And it accepted text messages for making bank account transactions also. So I could text, hey, move this from my check ins to my savings. Fancy. So, you know, mobile payment technology can you send money to your friends or family, like Apple Pay or Google Pay or all the other things that we know now? We take take total for granted, super easy. So the earliest mobile banking, as we said, was text, right? And after smartphones were introduced with wireless applications, that support allowed them to use the mobile web in 1999, then European banks started offering mobile banking to all its customers. Any mobile banking done before 2010 was mostly text and it, uh, 2009, RBS launched two free services, a statement through text on demand, and an iPhone banking app. All right, that was big time. Back in 09. remember where you were at? Oh, what? I can check my balance on my phone? This is awesome. And then May 2011, the first fully functioning banking app was launched by RBS, but was only for Apple devices. Haters. It soon became available for, oh, yeah, BlackBerry. I know you're still out there, but basically, RIP BlackBerry. And it said that in its first six months, more than a million users signed up and more than one billion pounds were transferred using this very app. And since then, mobile banking has only traveled upwards. Okay, on to virtual currency. Let's start with the big boy. Bitcoin created in 2009 right after the collapse in 2008 by as Satoshi Nakamoto which no one knows who they are officially and I'm sure one day that will come out and it became the standard for virtual currencies now well when I googled this last there was 10,434 virtual currencies as of June 15th, and the appeal of virtual currency is it offers the promise of lower transaction fees than traditional online payments and that they're operated by a decentralized authority, unlike government-issued currencies. Okay, still with me? All right, so as I said, they... All these tokens present a way to exchange value between people faster and with less middlemen, making it cheaper and with less fees, should be. Okay. The full crypto space has increased a market cap of over $2 trillion dollars which is huge, and it's obviously getting attention every day. Okay, moving on to distributed ledger, DLT. No, not a BLT, I know you're getting hungry, but no. The distributed ledger database is spread across several nodes or devices on a peer-to-peer network where each node replicates and saves an identical, Identical identical copy of the ledger and updates itself independently. The primary advantage is the lack of a central authority. When an update happens to the ledger, each node constructs the new transaction, and then the nodes vote by a consensus algorithm on which copy is correct. Once the consensus has been determined, we say, okay, Yeah, that's the one. Everybody agrees that is the correct update to the ledger. Then all the other nodes update themselves with a new correct updated copy of the ledger. Then it's written across all systems. Security is accomplished through the cryptographic keys and signatures. Thus, it's called cryptocurrency. All right carrying on some more terminology let's start with the let's start with the base fiat i always thought that was a car i started, started learning about this stuff but now i hear the word fiat and i'm thinking of what it actually is meant for fiat money is a currency established as money often by a government regulation fiat money has no intrinsic value and does not have Use value. It has value only because a government maintains its value or because we agree on what the value is. Sorry about that. Too many devices. All right, so basically it was introduced as a commodity money. So point is, fiat money is the money that we're super familiar with. Dollars. Euros. Yen, Real, Peso, etc. All right. I'm gonna start naming other governments, organizations. We're gonna go on with this. NACHA. Have you ever heard of NACHA in ACHA? NACHA governs the thriving ACH network, which is the payment system that drives fast deposits, direct deposits, direct payments that can reach all U.S. bank and credit union accounts. Nearly 27 billion ACH network payments were made in 2020, that's last year, valued at close to $62 trillion. Through problem-solving and consensus-building among diverse payment industry stakeholders, NACHA advances innovation and interoperability in the payment system. And Natcha also develops rules and standards for others in its network to comply by or suggest. Okay. Everybody got a direct deposit? Probably was ACH. Okay. What is ACH? It stands for Automated Clearinghouse. So this is a network used for electronically moving money between bank accounts here in the U.S., You've probably seen an ACH thing on your bank statement a thousand times. As I said, it's run by NACHA, which stands for the National Automated Clearinghouse Association. And it has existed since the 1970s. Um, it's been an increase uh, in last year, increase of almost 11% from the previous year. And that includes government consumer, business-to-business, and international. An ACH payment may take more than three days to show up in your bank account, as you know. If you deposit a check or someone sends you some, you're like, oh, it's there but it hasn't posted yet. It's pending. That's what that is. The process may also fail for some reasons, resulting in potentially longer processing times. Okay, now on to SWIFT. Ah, yes, SWIFT. SWIFT is used to communicate money transfers between two banks. When two banks have a relationship, they're working together, the transfer is done as soon as this SWIFT, Swift message has been received. The money from one person's account is transferred to the other person's account through the bank's commercial account so the banks move it and then they move it to yours pretty makes pretty, pretty much makes sense all right and then as you guessed it the banks take a fee so swift stands for the society for worldwide interbank financial telecommunication it is the text message equivalent from banks to banks okay it's a member-owned cooperative used by thousands of banks worldwide to communicate information on financial transactions in a secure and, this is key, standardized way. As of 2018, half of all high-value cross-border payments were made with SWIFT, which covers, you know, 212 different countries. And if you're trying to understand the volume of electronic transactions generally to an order of magnitude, it's in the quadrillions of dollars per year. So according to our U.S. Treasury, SWIFT handles roughly $5 trillion a day. It links more than 11,000 financial institutions and they exchange an average of 32 million messages per day. And you thought you were texting crazy. Little backdrop. Swift was founded in Brussels in 1973 uh, by its CEO at the time. Okay, so the reason so many financial institutions use it is because when it was created, it was the only way to network them together. And over time, think about this in 1973, over time, as Populations grew. All companies wanting to exchange money overseas and across borders safely, they want to send it safely, they signed up with Swift and incorporated the software. So everywhere used it. Everybody used it because it was the one and only way to achieve that goal safely. And over time, basically, everybody has it. So, hey, you want to do that? This is the way. Sign up. Pretty straightforward. Now, TCH, which stands for The Clearinghouse. It is a banking association and payments company that is owned by the largest commercial banks and dates all the way back to 1853. Kind of like those horse and carriage pictures at Wells Fargo. Imagine that. The Clearinghouse Payments Company owns and operates a system infrastructure in the U.S., and is currently working to modernize that infrastructure by incorporating the RTP system, which stands for the Real-Time Payments System. The payments company is the only, this one, TCH, is the only private sector ACH and wire operator in the U.S., and it clears and settles about $2 trillion in dollars a day, representing half of all the commercial ACH and wire volume. Okay, so TCH is handling half of all of the ACH volume. It's big. All right, little explanation of what is a Nostro-Vostro account. Nostro and Vostro are two different terms used to describe the same bank account. These terms are used when one bank has another bank's money on deposit, typically in relation to international trading or other financial transactions. Okay, so I'm a bank in America. You're a bank in Europe. I'm going to give you a bunch of my money to hold over there. That's a nostro, vostro. And then you'll do the same. I'll hold some of your money over here. Okay, that's a. Layman's terms explanation. So both banks must record the amount of money being stored by each other, right? And the nostro and vostro are variations like the actual words on the Latin word, which means ours, and yours. So modern retail banking is derived from 13th and 14th century Italy, where both depositors, people putting the money in, and the banks which maintain the ledgers. They're keeping track of who's spending what, who owes what, of all the accounts. And the ledger kept by the depositing customer so, is Nostro. So my, my money at your place is Nostro, and your money at my place is called Vostro. Now here's a fun fact, Well, all of these are. Roughly $10 trillion is locked or held in these type of accounts worldwide by payment providers alone. Not talking about banks. We're not talking about governments. Payment providers like MoneyGram and Western Union type companies. That's 10 trillion in those alone. And naturally that number grows as markets and populations grow. Okay, let that sink for a second. All right blockchain i know you've been waiting okay so now blockchain blockchain what is it what does it mean okay it is a system of recording information in a way that makes it difficult or impossible to change hack or cheat the blockchain is essentially a digital ledger of transactions it's a ledger duplicated and distributed across the entire network of computers. Just like I said, once they agree on it, they write it, everybody updates. That's the chain. Each node is called a block, each computer. So each block contains a number of transactions, and every time, everybody updates it. The decentralized database managed by multiple participants is known as a distributed ledger technology, DLT. So blockchain is a type of DLT in which transactions are recorded with an immutable cryptographic signature called a hash. So if you heard the hash rates, that's the hash rate is how fast are you signing those records. All right, smart contracts. A smart contract is a self- executing contract with the terms of the agreement between buyer and seller being directly written into the lines of code the code and agreements contained they exist across the distributed decentralized blockchain so the code controls the execution okay i said you give me ten dollars if i give you some chips right you give me the chips i give you the ten dollars that was the agreement the smart contract immediately signs and says, yep, you did what you said you are going to do. Doesn't matter what types of chips. You're like, hey, I, I wanted Ruffles. You gave me Lays. No, no, no. It said chips. You didn't specify. I'm getting a little off topic, but you get it. It agrees on the agreement and writes it automatically. Humanless. So smart contracts permit trusted transactions and agreements to be carried out among disparate Anonymous parties without the need for a central authority, legal system, or external enforcement mechanism. We just agree what is the agreement on both sides, and it executes. Okay, You've heard of Ethereum. It is the largest smart contract platform by far. But there's others, up-and-comers such as Solana, Polkadot, EOS, and Binance. But most people think of smart contracts, they think of Ethereum. Okay. Decentralized finance, aka DeFi. You might have heard this term. So DeFi is a blockchain-based form of finance that does not rely on central financial intermediaries like brokerages, Exchanges or banks, or that offer traditional financial instruments. And DeFi utilizes smart contracts on the blockchain, most common being Ethereum. So, DeFi platforms allow people to lend or borrow from other people, speculate on price movements on a range of assets, such as derivatives. You could exchange cryptocurrencies or fiat currencies. You can insure against risks. Or you could earn interest in savings like accounts. So you could put all of your crypto you converted from dollars to, say, a stablecoin from Circle, USDC. And you could earn interest just the same as you were earning interest on dollars in a bank account. So DeFi uses a layered architecture and highly composable building blocks. Some of the apps promote interest rates but are subject to high risk. Depends, there's a lot out there. Some are crazy high, but you obviously know if you're looking at 49% interest rate, that's risky, right? So you got to do some homework. By October 2020, over $11 billion worth of crypto was deposited in various DeFi protocols, which represented more than a tenfold growth during 2020. In that month, it spiked more than basically the whole year. You know, pandemic was really sitting in. People are really wanting to know where to put their stuff. And it started pouring in there. As of January 2021, approximately $20.5 billion was invested in DeFi. Okay, now another big boy, the B.I.S. This stands for the Bank of International Settlements. I'm going to read from their site, a little copy-paste here. Our mission is to support central banks' pursuit of monetary and financial stability through international cooperation and to act as a bank for central banks. Pretty big. Established in 1930, the BIS is owned, collectively, by 63 central banks, representing countries from around the world that together account for, wait for it, 95% of the world's GDP. Cool, right? Its head office is in Basel, Switzerland, and has two other offices, Hong Kong and Mexico City. It also has little hub centers all around the world. All right. Next, this is a new one that came up and is extremely important as all these ISO 222. Yes, the letters is ISO 222. What is that? It is an emerging global and open standard for payments messaging. So, this is the name for a common language and model for payments data across the globe it's one that provides higher quality data than other standards which means higher quality payments for all like higher quality meaning success successful transfers okay one that can adapt to new needs and new approaches and it's not controlled by a single interest it's one that can be used by anyone in an industry and implemented on any network so what is it's a standard let's all agree that these these are the rules so that everybody can agree on some terms and not be making up their own rules that's the point of it so mostly financial institutions that want to streamline their communication infrastructure and costs by opting for a single common language whatever your business the communication network and the counterparty, such as you know, banks, clients, suppliers, market infrastructures. The ISO 2022 is targeted at these standards initiatives that are generally driven by communities of people looking for the most cost-effective communications to support their processes, with the particular view of facilitating interoperability with other protocols. So let's agree. Let's all agree on a standard that can also tie in with our local standards. So say you have some SOPs, you got some standard operating procedures here, but then once you get bigger and bigger network, we really have to agree. And kind of, you know, a funny aside in that Yuval Harari book, 21 Lessons for 21st Century, he has a huge chapter on how did the globe with all of our differences our massive amount of differences we all agreed on a flag we should have a rectangle we should have colors and pictures and that little image represents a flag there is almost an extraordinary amount of differences between countries in this world but we all decided let's use flags we did that this is a financial way of let's all agree on one thing that means How we communicate. Okay. Next. CBDC. Have you heard that before? CBDC? CBDC. It stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. A central bank digital currency uses an electronic record or a digital token to represent a virtual form of a fiat currency. So, I've got a dollar. Eventually, there will be a CBDC dollar. Okay. CBDC is centralized and is issued and regulated by the competent monetary authority. So, our federal government, who creates our dollars, will one day give you a central bank digital currency dollar. Key takeaway a CBDC utilizes technology to represent the currency in digital form. It's Unlike Bitcoin, whereas a centralized government or monetary authority um, would issue it. And while several governments and countries are looking into the viability of creating issue them, no country yet has officially launched, as in this is as it means it's the standard. Now there is some that have already come out. There's the sand dollar in the Bahamas. There is the digital yuan in China. There is other countries doing testing phases. It's been in testing for a long time, years. There are at least 56 central banks working on CBDCs right now and their adoption, according to the BIS, the Bank for International Settlements. So 56 banks are trying to figure out how, how do we move forward with this and It's been for maybe the past, I think, seven years. And the two I just stated are probably just doing more testing aggressively, spot testing. But it will go that way. Next, the IMF. We've all heard of that. The International Monetary Fund. The International Monetary Fund is an organization of 190 countries. Working to foster global monetary cooperation. Let's all work together. 190 countries to it works to secure financial stability, facilitate international trade, and promote high employment and sustainable economic growth, and help reduce poverty around the world. Right? They're a big, big part of this space. Okay, next, this was a definitely a new one for me that I had to dig into. SDR, never heard of this before, but like all of these pieces, important. Okay, SDR stands for Special Drawing Rights. So special drawing rights are supplementary foreign exchange reserve assets defined and maintained by the IMF. They represent a claim to currency held by the IMF countries for which they may be exchanged. Okay. So I'm the IMF. I'm helping collect money from these big countries. We call them SDRs. So the biggest countries, the most financially set countries, such as some countries in Europe, obviously the U.S., China, the other smaller countries will be issued SDRs. Let's say, oh, you're having Honduras having, having a hard time. We issue you, you're having a harder time than Jamaica. So you get more of an SDR than Jamaica. So we'll give you more drawing rights, which means you can draw money from our big accounts, and we'll give you some money. So the IMF helps scope and create those SDRs. Okay. The IMF executive directors discuss a new SDR allocation as is this year, they did discuss a new SDR allocation deciding, hey, let's revamp this with $650 billion to boost our reserves to help global recovery from our favorite virus, COVID-19. Okay, so that's brand new. So IMF says, hey, all these big countries, let's gather, I want $650 billion more to issue to all of the other countries that need help and, and decide on the SDRs for them. Okay, next, TAS Group, T-A-S Group. TAS Group is a specialized, it it is specialized in software solutions for electronic money, payment systems, capital markets, and extended enterprise. The TAS Group has been listed on the Italian Stock Exchange since 2000. It's the market leader for card management, payment network payment networks and it also operates as a key mark key partner in the international market through its subsidiaries subsidiaries so the task group it serves commercial and central banks and the main financial centers in italy and europe and the main global broker dealers of the global fortune 500 this is a big group. The platform for financial messaging from Task Group connects the customers anywhere in a simple and transparent way and is now also on the cloud. Surprise. For over 10 years, the Task Network Gateway has been installed has been installed at the heart of the European central platform for managing securities. Okay, so the Task Network Gateway. Helps manage and distribute messages for securities exchange stocks. Okay. Uh, It also works with as an access hub for Swift, also SIAnet and the internet, and as a validation engine for SIPA. Now, this is just ignore this part, but I'll read anyways, including SIPA, FIN, funds T2, T2S, and The bigger one tips which stands for target instant payment settlement that's the key part there okay all right let's get into the first company r3 which has a corda so r3 is the only blockchain app development platform specifically built for highly regulated industries So I'm just going to read a little bit that I copy-pasted from their site. Permissionless blockchain platforms in which all data is shared with all the parties are largely unsuited for regulated businesses. Hey, let's just put all our business out there. Well, some big companies say, nah, I don't like that. That's why they developed Corda. It's a multi-party platform for building DLT, distributed ledger technology solutions, that only share their info with relevant parties. Kind of think of it as lawyer-client privileges or doctor-patient. The rise of digital assets is the third innovation wave in blockchain. Think of that. The assets is the third innovation wave. After the initial explosion of cryptocurrencies and DLT, the reimagination of how value is moved to manage is massively impactful now and will fundamentally change the nature of business across many industries. The ability to represent assets on a digital system and execute transactions. So let's represent some blockchain, let's execute it on open source blockchain and that creates new markets for previously illiquid assets which reduce risk and cost. So a digital asset token can represent any asset. So one thing can be built to represent something else or an agreement between parties today with the potential to settle directly against digital currency or an alternative payment solution. The tokens boost the the exchange mechanism token will boost market efficiency by enabling end-to-end solutions such as trading, settlement, and custody services into one big offering, one big, beautiful basket, thereby unlocking liquidity in previously ill liquid markets. It's a big deal right there. Uh, Let's see, for example, also on June 15th of this year, the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, Fin, which is a nonprofit formed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the International Finance Corporation, and the ASEAN Bankers Association, those three behemoths partnered with R3, and to and en- in order to enable banks and fintechs to build and test cbdc applications and drive global adoption so r3 this company the settlement tokens it uses mostly and the major part of it is xdc and xrp that's their main settlement tokens half of their current customers are billion dollar companies like bny Mellon, jp morgan Goldman Sachs, IBM, to name a few. All right. Uh, Here's another big bank. The European Central Bank. What do they do? Just a quick search on the homepage. Big thing on their homepage. We develop and issue banknotes. Cool. They print money. All right. Oh, look. It says, we invest in new technologies to make the banknotes you use more secure and resistant to wear and tear. Okay. You're going to make super cool dollars. Okay. We also identify and give recommendations for reducing risks that could throw the financial system out of balance. Such as such a stock market turmoil or a sharp fall in house prices. This helps people like you as well as businesses to plan and invest for the future with confidence. Thank you, Big Bank. All right. What about our Big Bank? The Federal Reserve. All right, the Federal Reserve System is the central bank of the United States. It performs five general functions to promote the effective operation of our economy and the public interest. Okay, what are those five big things it does? It conducts the nation's monetary policy to work on stable prices, moderate long-term interest rates, okay? Number two, it promotes the stability of the financial system, right? You've heard interest rates go up and down. They decide, and it seeks to minimize our risks. Number three, it promotes the safety and soundness of, the, of individual financial institutions and watch how they impact the whole financial system. Four, it fosters payment and settlement system safety and efficiency, Using services like banks and the government to facilitate dollar transactions and payments. Okay? One would expect. And number five, it promotes promotes consumer protection and community development through research and analysis of emerging consumer issues and trends, economic development, and administering laws and regulations. Okay? Kind of no surprise there big thing is it's our central bank all right let's think about the world the world economic forum the world economic forum is the international organization for public and private cooperation let's all work together the forum engages the foremost political business cultural and other leaders of society to shape global regional and industry agendas how crazy does that sound? Okay. It was established in 1971 as a nonprofit and is headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland. It is independent, impartial, and not tied to any special interests. Someone could dig and find out if that's true or not, but I'm just reading off the sites. All right. What are their key areas of focus? As assumptions grow... As assumptions about growth models are overturned, the international balance of power continues to fray. And there is technological breakthrough breakthroughs that promise to transform economies and societies. The unique platform provided by the forum helps leaders from all walks of life prepare for exponentially disruptive change. We're the, we're the economic forum. We're going to help you deal with this radical societal changes. Today, they focus on three strategic challenges. Number one, mastering the fourth industrial revolution. Number two, solving the problem of global commons. And number three, addressing global security. Pretty big undertakings, I would say. All right. Little little detail here. Now, they continue to release documents detailing how XRP will be useful for CBDC exchange and settlement. As noted in the World Economic Forum January 2020 Policymaker Toolkit. A little handy toolkit. And their June 2021 guide called the Guide to Getting Started with Cryptocurrencies. Which also lists... XRP, Algo, Stellar, Cardano, Solana, and CeeLo. No, not the rapper. Singer. All right, moving on to another service called FedNow. Fun little YouTube. The FedNow service is a new instant payment service that the Federal Reserve Banks are developing, which will enable financial institutions of every size and in every community across the U.S. to provide safe and efficient instant payment services in real time, around the clock, every day of the year. You catching me? You should look up this video. Through financial institutions participating in FedNow, businesses and individuals will be able to send and receive instant payments conveniently, and recipients will have full access to their funds in seconds, giving them greater flexibility to manage your money and make time-sensitive payments. Like, I need to pay right now. Boom. Three seconds later, it's settled. It's not like, ah, it should be pending for a few days. We'll see if it's really in there. No, this would be now. It's in there. Boom. Done. That's how it should work. So consistent with the Federal Reserve's historical role of providing payment services, the Fed Now service will provide choice in the market for clearing and settling instant payments as well as promote resiliency through redundancy. So financial institutions and their service providers will be able to use the service as a springboard to innovate instant payment services to their customers. We will update this page. It says uh, on the end of the page, we're going to update it and let you know how we evolve. As of right now, 110 banks and companies are part of the ongoing pilot. And a majority of them, many of them, are already Ripple partners. Okay. Here's another big one I learned recently. State Street. Go ahead and Google that company it, they uh, just came out recently with state street digital and it says boom on the website better outcomes through intelligence i like that it's got i don't think i'll print that on a wall with like a sunset or a tree maybe some maybe a, a whale tail like just about to go under the water it says better outcomes through intelligence yeah It says, we aim to be the leading provider of asset intelligence to the owners and managers of the world's capital. Yeah, Yeah, small order. I just want to be the asset intelligence for the world's capital. Okay. Our integrated solutions, insights, and points of view enable our clients to quickly and confidently achieve scale and generate growth. That's, I like the writing there. All right, but why? Why care? Oh, because they have 38 trillion in custody. They have 3.5 trillion under active management. And they're working with 10% of the world's assets. Hmm. Okay. All right, we did uh, ISO 222 already. All right. Again, the ISO, you remember that, is the flexible framework to encourage. Business transactions on an agreed-upon approach, right? Why is this important again? As of July 2020, the organizations participating already in this ISO 222 are, are a few of them. There may be more by now, but for sure it was Algorand, XDC, which is R3, Ripple, Omgeo, Swift, course visa stellar and iota the biggest money transferring systems of agreements are saying yeah let's agree because that's how it works fast that's how we get things done a federal reserve report concluded that the f- oh yeah so no, there is a, a res- report issued by the federal reserve that said they should push for this ISO 222 adoption within the US financial system and is doing so by creating the FedNow service. So kind of hand in hand. All right, sorry, I keep moving around. Okay, next up, custodians. No, not janitors. I know you're thinking janitors, a custodian. Or a custodian bank is a financial institution that holds customer securities or digital assets for safekeeping to prevent them from being stolen or lost. The custodian may hold stocks or other assets in electronic or physical form. A custodian is a bank that holds the financial assets for safekeeping. The investment, their investment advisors are required to arrange for a custodian for assets they manage for their clients. So, if you're an advisor, you have to already have a custodian that's going to hold the assets safely. In modern times, these assets may be stored, I already said that, physical or electronic. Okay. In the US, some of the largest custodian banks include the Bank of New York, Mellon, BNY Mellon. JP Morgan, Chase, State Street Bank and Trust. So, State Street Bank and Trust, Citigroup, and others. Uh, Abroad, the best known custodians are Bank of China, Credit Suisse, UBS, Deutsche Bank in Germany, Barclays in England, and BNP in France. All right now the ripple connection why am I bringing that up the New York Department of Financial Services granted standard a company named standard custody a trust charter which allows it to provide custody for digital assets in New York any digital asset meaning any cryptocurrency they were the charter was announced Tuesday. Uh, or on a Tuesday, allowing the custody to provide cryptocurrency custody. Standard custody is the 30th such entity to receive approval through the financial regulator of New York, known for having its most advanced crypto regulatory framework in the U.S. Go New York! Crypto custody is often the gateway for Wall Street involvement in digital assets, Somebody's got to protect my stuff, right? Standard Custody is a subsidiary of Polysign. Okay? Polysign has been working to build up its custodian aspect since at least 2018. All right. So Polysign was created. They created underneath them Standard Custody, which got the rights in New York, the most stringent state in the US and got got to it can operate and got to pass it's legally allowed to hold digital assets assets as a custodian I know I'm repeating myself this is important so who is Polysign here's some of the team I'm going to actually read who the team members are because I find it interesting and important First up, Jack McDonald. He's the CEO. He was previously the CEO of Conifer Financial, which he was there when it grew from five to 125 billion. He's also a former UBS exec. He was inducted into Global Custodians' quote Legends of the Industry." Yeah, the legend of the industry is the CEO. Next, David Schwartz, he's the CTO and chief cryptographer at Ripple Labs. He's also the co-designer of the XRP Ledger. Arthur Brito, he is a co-founder of Ripple Labs and the other co-designer of the XRP Ledger. Ripple has grown to over $30 billion in assets in just under five years. Next team member, Team Caney. He is a retired vice chairman of BNY Mellon. He was just heading up asset processing and global markets. He led an organization of 25,000 people who were responsible for custodying 25, a quarter, one fourth percent of global institutional assets. And last, Antoinette O'Gorman. She was previously the CCO at Ripple, a former consultant with Promontory Financial, and then she also spent 15 years at the banks MUFG and HSBC. Now, got a question for you, little little quiz, pop quiz. What asset do you think this firm will suggest to exchange and transfer these large sums with for their institutional investors they're custodying for? Anyone have any ideas? Okay. All right. Now some meat and potatoes. Now on to Ripple. Who are they? Why should you care? Are you awake? Are you even still here? Okay. Reading off the website, just a straight read. If you can hang I'm just reading, obviously. Ripple is the only enterprise blockchain company today with products in commercial use by hundreds of customers in more than 55 countries. These businesses have access to alternative liquidity solutions through the Ripple Global Network, which uniquely uses the XRP Ledger, and its native, dig- native digital asset XRP to help improve payment services worldwide. We work within the existing financial system to improve, not disrupt. That's a very crucial line. This means partnering with customers to streamline their underlying infrastructure, not replace it, work with regulators and governments and central banks to ensure that our solutions are secure and compliant. They have more than five hundred employees, nine global offices. They were founded in twenty twelve. It has several arms or departments, parts. Um, there is RippleNet, with its on demand liquidity. RippleX, which is an open developer platform, and X Rapid is the exchange tool that runs the ODL. Alright, just a little from their homepage, we see the future of global finance, unlocking the power of blockchain. The current global payments infrastructure does not meet today's consumer demands. By unlocking the power of blockchain and digital asset technology, financial institutions can dramatically improve the speed, cost, and reliability of how people transact around the world. Our solutions unify the infrastructure underlying global payments, but it doesn't stop there. Through the power of decentralized financial technology, institutions and businesses and people they serve have access to the system no matter where they are. They accelerating the internet of value This new era of global finance takes shape in the IOV, the Internet of Value, a world where money moves like information does today. This is like their banner. If you saw a little plane flying across the beach and it had a ripple, it would say this. This is like their calling thing, the Internet of Value, where money moves like information does today. Like the internet's impact on information sharing and communication, the IOV will serve as an explosive catalyst for value exchange, spawning a new chapter in globalization, and it'll redefine entire industries. Now talking about on-demand liquidity. So RippleNet customers can use XRP to bridge two currencies in as little as three seconds. Ensuring the payments are quickly sent and received in the local currency on either side of a transaction. Customers can exchange their funds, which could be fiat, my dollar, or a digital asset, let's say Bitcoin. I can convert that into XRP and then into their funds, the person receiving it on the other side, so it converts my dollars or bitcoin to xrp it does the exchange on the other end goes xrp to the euros because you're in germany all that happens in three to five seconds therefore in bold changing three to five day settlement time into three to five seconds which removes the need to hold currency in the nostro vostro accounts you following In banks or payment providers around the globe As the payment would actually be transferred and settled Okay Why? Why use XRP? So XRP is ideally suited for global payments Because it is quicker, less costly, more scalable and sustainable Than any other digital asset Why is it fast? The XRP ledger With the digital currency revolution continuing to gather pace, the debate between advocates of of proof-of-work and newer algorithms rages on. Beyond the rhetoric, the evolution continues to make steady progress that due to design limitations, transactionally focused proof-of-work networks find it hard to match. Big example, the biggest proof-of-work, as we know, is Bitcoin. As the only blockchain company with payment products and commercial use, um, I already read that. Da, da, da. All right, here we go. Despite the existence of the consensus validation-enabled safety break, so it has a safety break on the XRP ledger, which it has. It has demonstrated a reliability rate of. This is funny, of more than ninety-nine point nine 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 percent since it began operation more than fifty-eight million ledgers ago. The XRPL's history of closing a ledger roughly every five seconds attests to its to this consistency. Incredible. All right, who are some of their customers? Using this technology, you ask. I know you're wondering like, who, but who? Bank of America, Bank of England, SBI Group in Japan, which was a large investor in the beginning and inception of Ripple and R3, BTEC, American Express, Asimo, RIA, Standard Chartered, Cross, Neum, Sim Bank. Tranglo, SCB Thailand, Banco Santander, Banco Ren- Rendimento, Sab, Novari, Flutterwave, Mercury FX, Transfer Go, Flash Effects, Rack Bank, Al Raj, The National, Bank of Egypt, Iremit, Money Match, etc., etc. I'm just looking at the first page. It goes on and on. Many of their customers are large bank systems with hundreds of smaller banks under each of them. Okay, in short, what's the point? What's the point, you're asking me? All right, in short, they're looking to solve speed transfer time worldwide, which frees up Nostro Vostro accounts enabling the fastest, current, fastest currency settlements to happen in seconds. Example conversions, as we said, would be fiat to fiat, dollar to euro, or anything, yen to lira, real to peso, peso to euro, to yen, whatever. A, or a digital currency like a CBDC or cryptocurrency to fiat. Let's say you're CBDC from one of my countries, my digital dollar to your digital euro, right? You still spend it the same. You're swiping a card. You're doing the same thing. But how these banks exchange it and move it in the background is the key. The exchange mechanism in the middle would be XRP as a bridge currency, allowing the value exchange to happen quickly with the person sending person sending or receiving what they use in their country. This is what ripple calls ODL, on demand liquidity i only need liquidity when i demand it pretty straightforward and this is why it is freeing up large amounts of capital for the banks that are already using it now okay huge caveat this is extreme to point out so xrp's use case and they've said it publicly a ton of times Its use case is not for the average person. It's not for the retail investor. It's not meant to be used to buy chips and water at the gas station. It was created to be a bridge asset. To be owned and used by global financial systems to exchange and represent the currencies given out that represent value. Only that governments, federal reserves, huge banks, an exchange tool for them to save money and get their money back from all these other banks that they have it at. And as of today, only 1% of XRP is owned by the average Joe right now. So if we're huge government reserves, and I really need that to move my money around efficiently, how hard... Or quickly, do you think they'd buy back that one percent? Be pretty easy for them, meaning that it will be the value that earned that other currencies are issued from. Like when our dollars used to represent gold's actual value. For example, so right now, an ounce of gold is roughly two thousand twenty-five dollars, but we spend the dollars, not the gold, because they represent the value. But we have not been on the gold standard since 1933. The U.S. monetary system is based on paper money backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government, as we know. Okay. Going on. You do a little Googling. Next thing to address is the lawsuit. Yes. If you Google Ripple, you will notice there is an ongoing lawsuit with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. and This is where it gets juicy for the future of finance in the U.S. This is what turned this whole thing into my telenovela. Okay. In December 2020, last year, Jay Clayton, the former head of the SEC, initiated the lawsuit against Ripple on his last day in office and accused Ripple of selling XRP as an unregistered security. What is that? An investment security is a category of securities. It is a tradable financial asset, such as equities, like stocks, or fixed income instruments. And they're purchased with the intention of holding them for investment. Such as stock or bond, it's, it is regulated by the SEC. So securities are regulated by the SEC. We have used the Howey test to determine these cases. We have used the Howey test to determine these cases. But after this case, people say in this communities it may be called the Ripple test. What the heck is the Howey test? So there was a case in 1946, Howey versus the SEC. And this was a case that the Supreme Court of the United States held that the offer of land sales and contract was an investment contract within the meanings of the 1933 Securities Act. Okay. So the case resulted in a test known as the Howey test to determine if an instrument is an investment contract for the purposes of the Securities Act, which they called, in quotes, a contract, transaction, or scheme whereby a person invests his money in a common enterprise. So I'm going to invest my money in this company, and I'm led to expect profits solely from the efforts of the promoter of a third or a third party. Okay, now let's break this down more. William John Howey from the Howey case, he owned large tracts of citrus groves in Florida. How he kept half of his groves for his own, for its own use, and then what he did is he sold real estate contracts for the other half to finance its future developments. This nineteen forty six Orange Grove case is what the SEC is basing their twenty twenty one virtual currency case on. Think that's a little outdated? Well, Ripple does, and all the. All the people looking into it definitely do. Okay. Ripple has actually been meeting with the SEC for many years, publicly noted, leading up to the case, and was blindsided by it. For example, Bitcoin and Ether, as well as all other cryptos, all of them, have not officially been assigned as digital currencies or securities. Can you believe that? Did you hear what I said? That's actually the case. However, William Hinman, while at the SEC, stated in several public interviews that the SEC did not view Bitcoin and Ether as securities, and this sent their adoption through the roof and still does to this day. Clayton stated actually in 2018 that Bitcoin wasn't a security. This case is now forcibly bringing to light how they came to that conclusion and the Ripple Lawyers are asking them to officially designate them and any others that are not securities and also those that are. Recently, a deposition from Hinman has been requested as of right now. We're talking last week from the Ripple Lawyers. What about Jay Clayton and Hinman? Where are they now, you ask? I'm, I'm so glad you asked me that. Very important. Clayton was hired shortly after his SEC resignation by One River Asset Management, which is an investment hedge fund focused exclusively, exclusively on Bitcoin and Ether, the two that got the pass. He's there right now. Hinman, who is no longer with the SEC also, he went back, To the White Shoe Law Firm, Simpson Thatcher and Bartlett. So, Simpson Thatcher is part of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, which is an entity that looks at the uses of Ethereum technology beyond cryptocurrency. He also was getting payments from that law firm while he was still at the SEC. Clayton and Hinman were also signatories. This is further to the filings with the SEC in the IPO for Alibaba based in China. Some theorize that China effectively controls Bitcoin marketplace with about two-thirds of total global mining capacity. So they helped launch that company just showing that they have ties there as they would and they're helping those two coins. So, beyond being threatened by large-scale Bitcoin mining elsewhere, which might come to Texas, eha, the one thing that would concern the Chinese government is competition from other currencies, such as XRP or others. By taking government action, which Clayton did, and effectively tying up the trading of XRP, those who control the mining of Bitcoin and Ether could benefit enormously. Who was positioned to do that? Those guys. But Ripple's lawyers are light years ahead of the ones at the SEC and has exposed these corrupt corrupt actions that Clayton and Henneman did, as well as the open non-clarity surrounding ICOs. An ICO is an initial coin offering where a company raises money by selling their tokens, just like Ethereum did. He said, hey, we're going to roll out this thing called Ethereum. We're going to sell Ether, you could buy in early and we'll give you extra coins for buying in early. They raise money, they build their company. That's an ICO. Um, so they're looking at uh, why they were giving preferential treatment to tokens that benefit them the most personally. And also, they're showing how blatant those guys were doing that. Okay, update as of today. The SEC has been required by Judge Netburn to release all the records of how they came to the conclusion that Bitcoin and Ethereum are not securities and has yet to rule on Ripple's ongoing fair notice defense, which means that they were never given fair notice, especially due to their frequent meetings with the SEC asking for regulatory clarity. And due to this lawsuit, when it began Last December, everybody got scared and there's only a few exchanges right now where you can even buy XRP. One of them is Uphold, where I got mine. Now, with that being said, how confident is the XRP community that Ripple will come out victorious? You ask? Very. What what is guessed is that We anticipate a settlement for the initial sales and incentives very early in Ripple's creation back in 2012, so a settlement for that, a declaration that anything after that time is not a security, and going forward, that they are now openly and publicly cleared for business and officially cleared by the SEC of the U.S. That's what we anticipate as the closing. Which would leave hundreds, if not thousands, of other companies to go through the same process in some capacity before being cleared. Ripple will be the first of many of these cases. And Bitcoin and Ethereum will most likely get actually officially determined as currencies or not. Anything's possible because Ethereum did have an extremely public ICO, whereas Ripple never had one. Interesting. Okay, now with that issue stated and let's move on. So you say, hey, how's the company doing since last December 2020 when this case hit? Great is the answer uh, from their site. In 2020, same year where they're hit with the case, the ODL volumes, the on-demand liquidity, experienced 12x year-over-year growth. They signed 15 new customers, all after the case. The company's continued customer tran- traction underscores that Odeo has real utility and is solving the challenges of cross-border payments. How about 2021? How are they doing now? Continued growth. Uh, one standout I put was it's they took a 40% stake in the company Tranglo, one of their customers, And uh, Tranglo will actually play a critical role in supporting the existing Southeast Asia area, especially the Philippines with its remittances, and introducing new corridors. So who uses ODL currently? Some of them, some banks are our customers. Novati, Bitso, which is one of the largest crypto exchanges in Latin America, SBI Remit in Japan. Go Yoshitaka Katao. Look up that CEO. He's the big boss. He sees the future like no other. So that's SBI Remit Japan. Go Lance. Asimo. Mercury. Tranglo and many others. Okay. We're almost to the end of this thing. Thanks for hanging. Are you wondering if I own any XRP? Yes. Why yes? Yes, I do. Will I own other cryptos? Well, yes. A big plus is if they are ISO 222 compliant and they're looking to solve real-world problems for existing systems that aren't going away anytime soon. What about Bitcoin or Ether? Simple answer. I personally like higher profit margins and can see past their shortcomings. They are still good leaders of the industry, and the market would not exist without them. There's not for me. They gave us this great start to the next frontier, and the world has learned from them. But we're now in the improvement period. So I will put together a very long list of connections and services utilizing Ripple technology. But the big overarching thought remains. SWIFT connected all the banks up to this point in history. Ripple has connected hundreds of banks and money transfer services with RippleNet. And once it's cleared by our government, they can actually activate the ODL service with legal peace of mind, which is where XRP will achieve its true value. Will it be the only one? No, probably not. It'll just be a big one. In my researched opinion, I have just not seen many other companies or tokens mentioned on the large economic monetary organization sites with such regularity. Uh, Ripple's the only fintech listed on the US Faster Payments Council. Uh, I think that happened this week. While all the others are payment systems and banks. And this is a common theme with them all the time. Rosie Rios, if you don't know that name, Rosie Rios is our former US Treasurer who pulls some dollars out of your wallet right now. Her name is on most of the US money in circulation. You see what I'm saying? You hear what I say? Her money, Rosie Rios is on most of the U.S. money in circulation today. She joined Ripple's board of directors earlier this year. Shall I go on? All right, got to wrap this up eventually. All right, are you still awake? you awake? All right, so we have covered some history, we've covered some terminology, and an overview of Ripple and XRP. The next episode, I'll go over the Flare Network, Uh, all things flare to a point Um, and that definitely needs full dedication to its awesomeness thank you so much i hope you found this interesting hope you didn't fall asleep or if you did maybe you can come come back to it later anyways take care be healthy y'all